what I think, Brian, is that when we start recording and we have a little something before the bumper music, it's mm-hmm. kind of like that cool moment when like the band comes out and the lights are still down, and it's like you know you hear like mu- you know instruments getting picked up, and then you like maybe you'll hear like check check, you know, like that. A little warm up. A little warm, and then and then boom, then it hits. I mean, we can do it again, but obviously, nah, I think, I, obviously, it's Jared's fault. I mean, Jared's yeah. the one who throws it all off. Clearly. All right. Yeah. And what was that last time with the uh, the hyper fifteen claps, like he's a seal or something? He wanted us to throw him a fish. <laughs> Howdy. Okay. Here we go. Check. Check. <laughs> Howdy. Welcome to the Managing Expectations podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Winger, and uh, with me, as usual, is my aide-de-camp, Brian Grimm. Howdy, Brian. Howdy, Jeff. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, You are uh, listening to episode... 25. 25. 25. That was a pretty good... That was a good year. Yeah. 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 Episode 25 of uh, Managing Expectations, um, the podcast that um, just doesn't want you to get your hopes too far up. Uh, we're, we've got a very good podcast coming to you. I, I agree. But, you know, like the roaring 20s of the 1900s, I think that we're really hitting our stride uh, in this stretch of episodes. Yes. Figuratively, this will be... Um, uh, uh, a period of uh, of uh, flappers and bathtub gin and um, people going to Paris to write and uh, whatnot. So, um, so I, as we get started, uh, go ahead. Speaking of that, yeah, uh, Robert Robert Redford turns eighty four today. Is that right? The Great Gatsby, yeah. Uh, he was in that movie with Mia Farrow. I don't know that I ever saw that version. I don't. I, maybe uh, it seems like they showed it in high school at some point, but probably. Yeah. Um, it wasn't supposed to be very good. Did you see it? It's, yeah, it's okay. It's it's certainly better than Baz Luhrmann. Well, um, the Baz Luhrmann. Um, uh, adaptation of a few years ago uh, did produce more memes and gifs or gifs I, I kind of prefer gif but uh, it, it could be um, uh, misunderstood to be gift mm. whereas a gif no one is going to think you're talking about peanut butter unless the context was really how, I'm looking how do you Jeff <laughs> I'm looking for um, a a gif about peanut butter. I'm looking for a peanut butter gif. This is stupid. That, yeah, yeah, that'll send you into uh, an infinity loop. So that you uh, may not be able to get back out of. Yeah, there's a lot of that. I almost bought a rug today that has this. Uh, it, it was. Uh, a, 
an ad on Twitter, which I'm on and which you aren't because, I don't know, you got religion or something. So, um, but it's like this optical illusion where it looks like there's a, it's like that street art where it looks like there's a giant hole mm -hmm. that goes down. It was great, but I, I really didn't think it seemed like one of those things that would be so awesome for like a day and a half. And then you'd be your wife would be like, how stupid are you? Yes, you're really that stupid. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you mentioned Twitter and a rug with a, a hole in it. <laughs> no, there's a, there's a connection. There's a good connection here. One of my favorite tweets of all time, and I wish I could give credit to the person who wrote it. <laughs> but he said... Um, my idea for a commercial for floors, a man falling infinitely through space, and the voiceover says, is this you? <laughs> That's pretty dry, but that is funny. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so before we get too far down the road, uh, I just want to... Uh, Give a shout out to our sponsor. We're very happy to be sponsored this week by Mrs. Winger Makes Masks, the producer of awesome, stylish, effective face masks for this COVID-19 era. Uh, folks, it seems like uh, masks are going to be with us for a while, so uh, might as well. I, I, would, I would add comfortable to that descriptor as well. You're not alone. Many people have said so. So, uh, more about uh, Mrs. Winger Makes Masks later in the show, uh, and there will be a link in the show notes. Uh, but uh, um, this, I, I, before we really uh, get going, I wanted to clean up a couple of things. Um, one is, uh, um, in, in a previous show, I talked about green screen. I don't know if you remember this. I don't... Uh, um, uh, green screen... Uh, has allowed them to do incredible things, but I don't know the green screen is the end all be all. And I, I don't. Uh, I think I. I think I said something kind of stupid and could have been mis misconstrued, misunderstood uh, about um, Lawrence of Arabia uh, and how I, I was saying that I think that it's boring. That David Lean's you know vast horizon shots um, just go on too long, you know. I mean, one of these days I'll get around to watching Lawrence of Arabia again. Uh, but in my memory, it was too long and really boring. And it wouldn't have been better with, with green screen, which is how they would have done it today. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that they ever need to make a movie on location again. I think they just go to Atlanta and shoot everything in a huge green screen. So... Um, you know, all the Marvel movies. Uh, I remember, you remember the end of The Empire Strikes Back when uh, uh, Luke and Darth Vader are fighting and there's like that, you know, I, I don't even know what kind of, uh, I don't even know where they were. They're but in the Cloud City. The Cloud City of Bespin. Okay, thank you. Uh, and... But they were they were inside and it was dark and then it Luke was I mean they were fighting on a platform and I think Luke had lost his hand and he's like clinging to the thing because it would fall away forever mm -hmm. and and that was 
um, or, or at least to a certain death, and I didn't know that the Cloud City of Bespin would have actually been that long from, from its bowels to the bottom. I guess they were really, if you think about it, fighting in the intestines of the Cloud City of Bespin. Yes. So anyway, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, anyway, they were, do you remember, I mean, I need a little affirmation here. You remember that, I mean, it seemed like they were in this vast space. Right. Yeah. That was a painting. That was a matte painting. And that's how they used to do that kind of effect. And it was stunning. It was a stunning effect compared to what they were able to do just, you know, 20 years before. Right. Uh, and now... I don't think they would ever do that anymore because they do everything with guys with, you know, computers, computer animation. I, I, I mean, I, I really, I have no idea of what goes into uh, having, you know, this this epic battle between the Avengers and the forces of Thanos. There are some guys though that that really try to shy away from that. They they, you know, they're not going to have as as you know, visually tech heavy as like an Avengers movie. But, um, you, you know, you got guys like Christopher Nolan who will lean on practical effects over special effects uh, more often than not. Uh, a, a lot of the stuff in Inception with the, like the exploding street when he's explaining the dreams to Ellen Page. Uh, you know, exposition, exposition girl. Yeah, exposition girl, but but that's that's all practical effects, which which is which is kind of cool. Seriously, mm-hmm. how how do how would they do that? Several cameras. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> when 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 don't I leave me was, don't leave me hanging, baby. <laughs> when I was a kid, and like they would like show like the same actor like side by side, and they would like talk to each other i'd ask my dad dad how do they do that well they're using two cameras <laughs> oh awesome <laughs> all right that's going to be my answer from now on it's multiple cameras multiple cameras yeah uh we so um i didn't know that about inception because i was going to say that's huh that's that's impressive, because like, because that was going to be I was I, you were saying that and I thought you were thinking about like the the Dark Knight movies, um, and I was going to throw Inception in your face, but man, you threw me for a three yard loss there. Yeah, the uh, where Joseph Gordon Levitt is like fighting in the hotel and the, like the the room is like right right in the hall. What, that's that's all practical. Really, it's a it's like a set that's spinning. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I wonder, and maybe for all I know, and for all you know, Mr. They do it with two cameras. Um, this is the same, the, essentially the same method that they use when uh, Fred Astaire was doing a dance number on the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, I've, I've, I've surely never seen the musical, but there's that, uh, there's that bit where, I, I've seen the clip. Right where he's like starts dancing on the floor, then he moves his way up to 
the yeah, he goes up the wall, the, up yeah. the wall, and then he ends up dancing on the ceiling. He Fred Astaire was doing it long before Lionel Richie had the idea. I was yeah, I was just about to say the same thing. I, I think I prefer. I mean, Lionel Richie's fine, but uh, I like I'm kind of a hipster that I liked it. I liked dancing on the ceiling before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> when Fred Astaire did it. <laughs> Uh, may I say, Brian, your uh, your exaggerated and uh, perfectly sculpted beard, uh, as though you were an officer uh, who uh, led men to victory for the Union Army, uh, is tremendous. I've been working on it. Thanks. <laughs> Along with your skinny jeans and your flannel shirt, you are the picture of... Uh, of a modern bohemian. The other thing I wanted to clear up, we talked... You might need to add a picture into the show notes just so that people don't get the wrong idea. The wrong idea! (laughs) Hey, well, listen. Mrs. Okay, so after going weeks without listening to the Managing Expectations podcast, Mrs. Winger binged. And uh, can I just say, she gave me some notes. Did she send them up over the text line, or was this just, uh, have a seat, let's talk for a moment. Have a seat, shut the door. Yeah. Um, and so, apparently, there are actually people listening to this, uh, who are, you know, talking to Mrs. Winger, uh, they think I'm funny, they think we're, uh, we're funny, I, I mean... Thanks. <laughs> but that we do need to behave. And um, uh, she she worries that uh, you and I, uh, two guys who have uh, imbibed alcoholic beverages in the past, but who no longer do, choose to no longer imbibe, uh, that we are altogether too jaunty, even... Um, uh, uh, encouraging of uh, J- Jared's continual use. I'm like, I don't even know what he was drinking. It's like she just heard like ice in a glass, and you know, and it reminded me of that bit. Uh, remember that line in um, Mad Men when Stan Rizzo says, "I've read your brochure, your pamphlet about temperance, and I'm not interested." I do remember that. <laughs> that guy was so funny. He was funny, yeah. Uh, and, and a much more realistic and likable cad than Don Draper, who was essentially the James Bond of, of I mean, just too great at everything. Mm-hmm. Except, well, not, ex- except not being every, a dad, everything. except being a dad or a good human being or a husband and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, you don't he want. Needs, to, I'm he sorry. Some improvement. He needed some improvement. There. Yeah, I'd give him an 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 I. N- needs improvement. Mark him down as an I. Um, the other thing I wanted to clear up: we spent a lot of time talking about Peter O'Toole, and that was good. Uh, but you know what? Actually, my favorite year isn't my favorite uh, Peter O'Toole movie. 
And do you know, I, I, I hunted high and low for my DVD of my favorite year, and I couldn't find it. I don't know if I loaned it out. Oh, great. Now, Mrs. Winger will tell me, that's why you always put your name in the things you loan out. But um, the, my, my favorite, one of my favorite movies, easily one of my top ten favorite movies, and I can't believe I forgot it, is The Lion in Winter, which was written by uh, William Goldman, who did Princess Bride and Marathon Man and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Great, great writer. And uh, uh, it starred Peter O'Toole as King Henry second or third. I don't know. Your wife would know. I think the third. Because actually, Peter O'Toole played them both. Uh, in Beckett, I think he played Henry the second. And then... Wow. And then he played Henry III in uh, The Lion in Winter. And Catherine Hepburn plays... You sure that was the same You sure that was the same guy? Or maybe they were just using two cameras? No. It, Ellen... <laughs> uh, no. I know Catherine Hepburn when I hear her. <laughs> she was a very stately woman. <laughs> I kind of dropped into Jimmy Stewart there at the end. Sorry. Uh, also, the young the young Anthony Hopkins played Richard the Lionhearted in The Lion in Winter. I haven't seen it. Are you kidding? Never seen it. It was originally written as a comedy, and the way the movie runs, it it, it, it is this fantastic existential thing, which has which. I mean, you can you can see where I mean there are there are some laughs in it. But there's just there's so many great lines and so many great scenes, and uh, it, it, it's 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 fantastic. It's great. Okay, I'll look it up. I like to watch it on. Um, there's like a handful of movies that I watch on Thanksgiving because it's like the one day when I can like get rid of everybody and just like you know, to the extent that I can, and just like like I always used to watch Reds and Hannah and her sisters. But sometimes I like The Lion in Winter, but you can't really fit them all in because Reds and The Lion in Winter are both like three-hour movies, I think. <laughs> anyway, Peter O'Toole at the beginning says, My God, to be the king alive in 50, all at the same time. This is great. It's <laughs> great. Funny. Yeah, yeah. Because, of course, back, I mean, in those days, getting to be 50 was hard, even if you weren't in a in a job where there was a greater uh, uh, a greater percentage of uh, you know poisonings and assassinations, uh, death by war. Did they didn't like was it like thirty five like the average age? Yeah, I don't know how that works because there were plenty of old people. I, I have to assume that it was like the age uh, that that it was uh, getting out of childhood. I mean, think about. Um, if if a baby got an infection, it would die, mm -hmm. you know. So so just I mean I, as I recall, and we could probably look this up, but I don't care that much. But I think I think if you live to be three, your odds increased by a huge percentage, and if you live to be five, then they increase by a magnitude. But you know I I've said it a hundred times. I mean I wear glasses. I've got you know. A bad knee. I, I, I destroyed my knee as a teenager, and then other stuff's just worn out with age. And um, 
you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't like my chances having to live in the wilderness. Yeah, no kidding. Um, which actually gets me to another another point. Um, but before we we get to that, um, maybe we could spend a minute uh, talking about Mrs. Winger makes masks. Uh, as I said, um, uh, it would seem that the masks uh, that we wear for health and civic reasons uh, are going to be with us for a while. And that is regrettable, but as is the case with many regrettable situations in life, we want to make have the best possible attitude. Um, uh, uh, while, we're, while we're in it. So um, Mrs. Winger Makes Masks uh, has been uh, producing incredibly comfortable, stylish, and effective masks for the last several months. Uh, check out um, the website in the show notes. Um, they're um, uh, aff affordable, they're washable, they're uh, two layers of protection with uh, uh, the ability to put a filter in t between the two cotton uh, layers uh, if you're uh, especially concerned. Um, I, I read an article about different masks being more effective than others and the three layers are very, very effective. Uh, apparently, you know, there's the things that, and I thought it was... Um, I thought it was like a Delta Force. I thought it was like a special ops thing where like they wear like the pullover sock, like the, the, the neck gaiter. Is that what it's called? Is mm -hmm. that really what it's called? I think yeah. it looks like that, uh, the bad guy in GI Joe, like snake or Cobra or something. Cobra command. I don't know. I don't know. Back in my day, GI Joe was, a 12-inch action figure, not a 4-inch action figure. Also, killed Nazis. Also, had a totally awesome space capsule. I had a G.I. Joe uh, astronaut, but I digress. Um, I saw that same report about the neck gaiters, because I have one that, that I've worn frequently, but I, I double it up, right? So I fold it over, and, and then... and so. But they say that no, those are bad. Those are actually worse. Because they aerosolize. I mean, they, they'll, they'll take like a droplet and then sp split it. Do you, do you know how aero aerosolization works, Brian? Do I need to... It's, do they use two cameras for that? They use two cameras and it makes, it, it makes for more uh, diseased projectiles. Anyway... Mrs. Winger makes masks uh, that are that look great on men, look great on women, look great on everybody. So check it out and um, uh, hang on. The, the neck gaiter, help me out here. So that's not like a special forces thing. It as it started as a runner thing, right? Uh, I think it's a. Uh, I think it was actually. I think it's kind of like a cowboy thing. Is that they would take a bandana, right, and dunk it in water, and then they'd wrap it around their neck, and so that would protect the back of their neck but also it would help keep them cool and so these things were kind of modernized a little bit to make them out of you know a little bit more stretchy material or a little bit more comfortable material than a cotton bandana 
um, and so that these things were made. I think that they, you know, people who would uh, fly fish or, you know, were, were outside a lot, um, you know, as ways to protect your neck uh, from the sun. Okay. Uh, really popular there. When, um, but it's, you know, it's been adopted by um, athletic enthusiasts. Yeah. Yeah, so we, I have like a winter one that when I go snowboarding with the kids, because we all wear helmets, and so, you know, putting a, a helmet over a stocking cap. Because that's how they got do. Sonny Bono. Right, yeah, and I think the other 1,500 people who die every year in skiing accidents. <laughs> all right. Ah. But they, uh, uh, you know, you Pull, put the neck gaiter on to kind of cover your ears and your head a little bit to keep some of the warmth in, and the, and then you put your helmet on top of that. So, okay, all right. Uh, so, uh, so, so actually, that does kind of like seg into what is necessary to get good at something. What, what what's the who's who's the guy? What? The 10,000 10, hours guy. Is that Malcolm Gladwell? Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell. And is it 10,000 hours or 100,000 mm-hmm. hours? I, I think it's 10,000 10, hours. Who, I mean, who has 100,000 hours? I don't know. I don't know if there's 100,000 hours in life. Get a calculator. 100,000 times 24 equals how many years? That's eleven. Well, that's that's eleven years, if my math is correct. All right. And, and how many how many years is ten thousand hours? Well, it'd be it'd be one point four years, wouldn't it? Yeah. I did that in my head. What? What? <laughs> okay. That's not true. I could see the abacus, and uh, if you listen closely, you can hear it clicking. If you rewind, but anyhow, will will Jackson will clean up that abacus click. In the uh, in the in post production, uh, so, so and then and this and this comes up because gun ownership in the last few months in America has gone up like like forty percent, something crazy. And and as it was, I don't know if it was it's if it's if it's Texas or America, but I mean. There's a gun for like every other person, and um, that's going up because people who've never had guns uh, are getting guns. And a woman, mm-hmm. a very nice woman that I work with in my day job, uh, she, um, uh, her husband went out and got a gun, and she and her husband took her and their son, who's going off to college, to the shooting range. Well, now get this ammunition is in short supply um and which which is also telling right uh so somebody's stocking up mm-hmm. um i think we all know that some people have been stocked up for a while uh correct there's no reason to think they're selling off some of theirs i don't think so yeah 
So, um, so, you know, there's people getting rich off of this and it's, you know, I mean, look, you can make a case for, um, uh, personal protection and defense of home and hearth. But the fact of the matter is, and this gets me back to the thing about, I mean, who's got, who's going to have the 10,000 hours, who's going to have, you know, whatever it takes a half hour a week to go to the firing range because you know you live in the suburbs as you and i do you can't just go in the <laughs> the backyard and squeeze some off is that not where i live not not where i live either okay but you live in texas i don't know the rules down there i mean it seems to be pretty friendly so i don't know um yeah i don't know how yeah no no you, you couldn't shoot a gun in my neighborhood without um, you know, but at least, at least raising an eyebrow. <laughs> so, so then, so then there's just all this stuff and it's, it, 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 it's kind of a melancholy thought because, uh, this is why you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And that's not true. I think you can teach an old dog new tricks, but I think that there are things that, if you come to later in life, you can't really achieve the level of expertise uh, of or the uh, uh, the level of proficiency that you might want. And and I think that if you're a guy in your fifties uh, and you want to suddenly uh, take defense of home and hearth uh, seriously, um, it's kind of late in the game. Uh, to be picking up a gun and thinking, well, well, I did see every episode of Hardcastle and McCormick, so I should be good to go. Hardcastle and McCormick? You gotta, did, did, the, did the Rockford Files not want any part of that? You know what? Jim Rockford hardly ever pulled a gun, did he? I don't think so. I just, that's just, those just shows just seem to go together in my mind for some reason. Uh, I think, uh, the Rockford, I think the Rockford Files is Ibsen compared to uh, Hardcastle and McCormick. But I was I was actually thinking about this because because of painting, okay. So I, I painted the other night, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I I bought so my, um, a crafting store, uh, not the one that you walk into and you think oh this is where the Cracker Barrel gets all their uh, decor, uh, but the other one, they had um, uh, canvases on sale, and I bought a couple huge canvases because usually I, I, I've been making my own, but I'm at a point where I can kind of, you know, f- feel like I can invest in a proper canvas. Um, and uh, I went out and and I, I used the same colors and the same design on two different sizes. And, uh, you know, it's fine. And, you know, I, I played with that, but mostly I just wanted to get the background down. And now the next thing will be to um, start embellishing. And mm-hmm. um, I, I think, you know, I, th- I think it'll be good. Julene is, that is to say, Mrs. Winger, um, uh, still is after, well, she's not really after me. She'd still like to have an abstract blue horse in the style of uh, turn early 20th century uh, artist 
uh, Franz Mark, um, uh, a woman uh, that we know uh, in Denver uh, has an original uh, print of one. That's where uh, Mrs. Winger saw it, and uh, mm -hmm. um, uh, and I, I can't really paint horses, but I'm willing to give it a whirl for Mrs. Winger because she's really been getting it done. You know, I mean, I'll. I'll go to bed crazy early, and she's up making masks. It's unbelievable. Um, so anyway, um, but 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 painting. And then I read Sunday morning. I was reading uh, a, an art critic, and he was talking about. And the article was specifically about um, former President George W. Bush's portraits of wounded uh, military personnel. Mm -hmm. um, and he, the, the, the critic, and look, whenever you read about the arts, whenever you read about the fine arts, you have really got to uh, be prepared for uh, a lot of pretension. I mean, I mean this guy <clears throat> was okay. Uh, this, this writer, whose name is Michael Lewis, but not the same Michael Lewis who does... Who did wrote Moneyball and you know whatever Big Short the Big Short good uh, so so a different Michael Lewis uh, and and he was just talking about the importance of having uh, an instructor having a, a a teacher when painting and and of course I've just been doing my own thing and I remember and it, and it takes me back to um, the author John Gardner. Uh, who wrote who's, whose most notable work is probably his book about writing called The Art of Fiction but then he also wrote a book called Grendel uh, which is um, about the monster in Beowulf mm -hmm. so it's like Beowulf told from the monster's perspective which sounds stupid but they teach it in high schools yeah 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 did you have to read it? Um, yeah, I think we did. We had a, a unit. Your mom didn't um, go in and insist on an exception because it was about a monster? No. I got to make my own educational choices. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, go ahead. Except for that week in health class. You know. Uh, yeah, I, I do. I, I remember it. I think I think I was a junior, and we had a, a, a unit on Beowulf, and then uh, then we spent a couple of days on Grendel. So the thing about this John Gardner, and there is another one. There's a guy who who continued the James Bond series, and it, his name was also John Gardner. You don't want to confuse mm -hmm. him. So the um, John Gardner may be actually most remembered as being one of the instructors of Raymond Carver. And Raymond Carver is truly one of the great American short story writers. He wrote in a style similar to Hemingway with the economy of language, but instead of, you know, the, the Hemingway code hero, uh, uh, Chan Chandler would write, not Chandler, darn it, Carver 
Raymond Carver, not to be confused with Raymond Chandler, who wrote spy, uh, not spy, but detective thrillers. Raymond Carver would write about suburban guys and and working guys. He had he wrote this. Uh, he's had a uh, a book of after he died, and he died relatively young, I think, of cancer. He he had been a drunk who dried out, and uh, started you know, writing and teaching, and, and his book, Fires, was a collection of, like, essays and poems, and he's got a, uh, a poem, uh, a picture of my father on his 23rd birthday that is great, and if I'd have known I was going to talk about this, I would have tried to find my copy for it, but anyway, um, anyway, uh, uh, Gardner... Is if, if somebody's not familiar, is that where they should start? No. Is... No. Um, uh, he, wrote, he wrote short stories, and he talked about why. Uh, because he, um, I mean, he was, I mean, he was married, he had kids, he had a job teaching, and the idea of sitting down and writing a novel from beginning to end was just too much. So he started writing short stories and, and tried to uh, find a market for them and, and it. In, in due course he did um, no he wrote a book about uh, uh, see he has a um, what we talk about when we talk about love uh, where I'm calling from um, I don't know there was um, cathedral yeah I, I may have read stories from that but I don't remember I don't know that I have that one uh I'm trying to, he wrote, and, and like, and kind of like Springsteen, he would take a line from the story and make that the title of the story, and then he would usually name his books after one of the short stories. Uh the, the, the one that I'm, I'm thinking of, which is not honestly where I would start because I think it's kind of sensational, uh, was called um, Tell the Women We're Going, which is such a great title. It's a great title, right? But uh, not where I would start. Then there's one... What's that one? I wish my friend Ray were on the phone because he would remember this because it was a, about a baker. Um... Anyway, uh, Raymond Carver was taught by John Gardner, who in his book, The Art of Fiction, talked about the importance of a college education for a writer. And uh, this is, this, I believe, must be weighed against uh, Kurt Vonnegut's uh, um advice to writers, which is you should not study English or literature if you want to be a writer. Because he said that, and I'm going to paraphrase Kurt Vonnegut, the great Kurt Vonnegut, um, he said that if writers only study other writers and don't really have a sense of how the world works, then literature will be swallowed up by its own rectum. And I'm going to let the listener try to figure out just what word or words I changed <laughs> when when paraphrasing Kurt Vonnegut. Mm -hmm. um, 
but but Gardner said that a, a guy who who's not properly educated uh, may be a very fine writer, but he would essentially be crafting a shaker chair, and that a shaker uh, woodworker um, could be very very skilled, but not have a lot of range, and. I don't know. You know what? Original. Okay, here's the thing. When I first read that, I thought that is so snotty. That is so pretentious. That is so buying into the system. And then I was like thinking about the ten thousand hours thing and thinking about me painting and how I've never been. I haven't been taught how to paint since high school. Uh, and then I was thinking about John Gardner, and it was like kind of weighing on me. But now that I just said it out loud again. Uh, yeah, you know what? That sounds really snotty and pretentious. First of all, shaker chairs are awesome. They last forever. They look great. How many how many shaker chairs have been sold in the past 50 years? Millions? I don't know. I couldn't say. The other thing is, you know what? What if your range is limited? What if, like Raymond Chandler, you know the suburbs and working guys, or, you know, like even like Hemingway wrote about a certain sort of person. Uh, mm -hmm. You know what? Paul Newman didn't have great range. Paul Newman was nevertheless great. And, mm -hmm. I mean, some of that was the way he looked, but some of it was like, you know, who he was who and who he was, was bringing yeah. to the screen, right? Yeah. yeah. You know what? So John Gardner can just, you know, can just pound sand with a flat shovel. But 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 you did say earlier that you don't know how to paint a horse. You're right, Brian. I'm no good. I'm a terrible <laughs> person. It's just a counterpoint. <laughs> yeah. Uh but but you know how to draw. I mean, you know how to draw an owl, right? I do. Okay. First step one, draw a bunch of circles. Step two, just draw the owl. Just draw the owl. Just draw the owl. And so I I will just uh, work on Mrs. Winger's abstract um, blue horse. Uh, we're we're running. Um, we're running down the clock. Uh, so we got John Gardner, how you get good at something. You know, the other thing is, I, I think that it's important to get, I, you know, and this is probably why it's so important to have good parents. You know, people who like get you pointed in a certain direction early on, because I, I mean, and I know it sounds, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, but like the years between 10 and 20, all right, are incredibly important. So I just rewatched Master and Commander, mm -hmm. um, which is okay, but not great. It's okay. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. And by the way, um, I'm not cutting my hair again until COVID is over. So I may be sporting Russell Crowe's uh, <laughs> Lucky Jack Aubrey, you know, for uh, much of 2021. But... Um, Oh, really? You think it'll be over that soon? Okay. Don't, don't. Just don't. But you know how, like, they would take little kids 
Yeah. Yeah, it seems unbelievable, right? It, it, it was unbelievable. And they had, I mean, the things that those kids saw and how quickly you had to grow up and the things that you had to learn on the fly how to do, like saw a leg off or, or whatever. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. But, and I'm not saying that's good, but on the other hand, look at what kids are like today. I mean, yep. okay. So, so, I mean, maybe the in-between period would be that, I mean, people who are like, I, you know, I, I think Mrs. Winger's work ethic comes from growing up in the country. You know, the, the animals need to be fed. They, you know, things need to be cleaned. Um, and, and it's got to get done. It's got to get done. And there's a lot of cushion built into modern life uh, that, um, th that allows, for, allows for some budge. Right. Yeah. That neither one of us had. No, I totally did, Brian. And I think that's part of why I'm spoiled and lazy. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I'm just, my, my point is, is that it, it gets that cushion gets exponentially fluffier as the generations go on. Well, I think that's true. I, I mean, I do think. I mean, when did I have my first job? I mean, I I must have been fourteen. And then I was bussing tables at 15, and I'd worked my way up to the kitchen by the time I was 16. That's when the money really started coming in. Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know anybody. First of all, I think it's really hard for a 16-year-old to get a job. Uh, I don't know a lot of places that will hire somebody that young and, like, I mean, I think around here you've got to have like a, you got to have a note from your mother and a note from the school saying it's okay, and you know you, under penalty of, uh, law, you will uh, not keep a kid past a certain hour. And I just think, wow, this is you know. Meanwhile, you know, you hear these stories about guys who were joining the Marines when they were seventeen, by forging their parents' signature. You know. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I don't know. I, you know, there's a lot of stuff that, I, you know, I, I wish I hadn't. Well, I mean, look, I, 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 at this point, I am a busy guy, and I don't have time for regrets, which won't help. But I wish that those years between ten and twenty had been spent uh, with stuff other than rock and roll music and chasing girls and drinking beer, you know. Uh, even like just stuff like, like living off the land, right? Like there's, I mean, I think of my, my kind well, like, lear yeah, alert, like learning how to do that and getting used to that type of lifestyle, right. Of, of just knowing how to do some of those things. Yes. Uh, because, because take away our external trappings of comfort and, um, in, you know, climate control. Life on Earth is either too hot or too cold. It's kind of itchy. It's kind of scratchy. 
uh, you're sore. You know, I was thinking the other day, you know, they always, they always talk about how when you get older, um, you don't feel, you know, you, you don't feel as good as you used to. How would you communicate that to a young person? How would I communicate that to say your kids? And it's, it's like this. Okay. You know how you feel after you've like played really hard, like played a sport or run or, you know, done something physical and the lack lactic acid is built up and you're and you're sore and you're stiff and that feeling when you're young goes away the next day or you know in a couple days right when you're old you you feel like that kind of all the time and then i thought about this friend of mine who uh I don't know, he had something wrong wrong with him. I mean, something hurt. It was like a skeletal muscle pain. And so he goes to the doctor, and the doctor gives him some stretches to do. And the and he says, okay, so if I, if I do these stretches every day, uh, I'll, I'll feel better. He says, no, you're, never go- you're over 30. You're never going to feel better. You just won't feel worse. And, and that's, that's the thing, right? That, that's the thing about, so, um, I, how did I get off on that? Help me out. Well, youth, youth is wasted on the young. Uh, yeah, but it wouldn't have to be. And I don't think you have to like lose a leg like the kid in, uh, or, or arm or whatever the kid was in master and commander, whatever the kid lost. Uh, I, you know, I just think you gotta, you gotta be prepared for life being kind of hot and scratchy, itchy. What, and scratchy. What, what cartoon was it that had itchy and scratchy? I don't know. I think, I think it was just called the itchy and scratchy show. Was that like on the Simpsons or something? I think, yeah, I think it was a, a show within a show. Okay. I don't know. Uh, um, so then, so, uh, you know, you, you take that time, whatever, learning, learning a skill or, or, or whatever. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I appreciate the fact that like you and Jared both have trades and while you, you may not want to make your living doing that right now, um, you could, you know, it's an actual thing that you go back on. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm left trying to defend why, uh, London Calling is, uh, The Clash's best album. <laughs> um, the, but, okay, so like, but like people who like, who, who, who would go camping, I mean, you can't, you can't just like learn to live off the land at the drop of a hat. You can't just decide whatever on your 45th or 50th or 55th birthday, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to really going to learn how life is on earth. Because if you take a weekend a month and, and go away and go camping and like do that, it's like, how, first of all, I, I, I simply don't think that an, a normal, an average guy could afford that much time. And what what would his his co-workers his friends and neighbors his community such as he's involved in it have to say about a guy who was taking a weekend a month off 
to what? To learn how to make a compass out of a, a needle and a, and a leaf? I mean, I, I think that those are honest, honest to God things that could save your life. But I think that if you didn't learn them between the ages of 10 and 20, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough slog. It's going to take you a little longer when you get older. I mean, am I just being, I mean, do you think I'm being unnecessarily pessimistic or you, you kind of dance with what brung you, right? Yeah, I don't think that you're being unnecessarily pessimistic. I just think that that's just the way it is. Uh, you know, there, there are certain things that I learned as a kid that my dad taught me. Um, but I haven't put into practice in the last 20 or 30 years. And I really kind of wish I would have. Uh, so that I would feel a little bit more comfortable, you know, doing some of those things. And I could figure it out, but it's, I'm probably going to cut my finger. I'm probably going to spend a lot more money, you know, <laughs> doing it. Listen, finger cuts can be no laughing matter. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> like, I'll cut my finger, which is oh, man. a bummer. Do you remember Dave Tolan? So I was I was in stock. What, wasn't he like a four and a half, <laughs> a four and a half guy? <laughs> four, four and a half. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't, wasn't he missing a digit or something? Missing a digit. Digit misser. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, I don't, I don't remember that, but I was helping him lay carpet one cold, uh, Denver morning and he cut his finger really bad and he wouldn't go to the doctor. I mean, I really thought he needed stitches and he wouldn't do it just cause he, he didn't have the time. I'm sure he didn't have insurance. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if he ever played the guitar again. There were times that I had cut my finger when I was an electrician and like it just, it just opened it right up and I, you know, just look at it. I'm like, okay, is like, did this cross the threshold that it might not stop on its own? <laughs> or if I just wrap it in black electrical tape and take 10 minutes, am I going to be okay? Yeah. Most of the time it was black electrical tape and, blue paper towels <laughs> those are especially good at cleaning up oil spills <laughs> yeah and blood yeah same thing <laughs> yeah uh that's funny all right well so so I, I maybe sign off with a couple of uh paul simon lines one is uh why am i so soft in the middle when the rest of my life is so hard and um more recently, he had a song called Outrageous. And I, by recent, I mean like in the last 10 years. And I think that Paul Simon is like actually legitimately officially retired. He's just not making music anymore. I mean, he's in his upper 70s and he's just not good. But he's got that Edie Brickell money. <laughs> he's, got, he's got all that Edie Brickell money. Actually, I work with a guy in my day job who dated Edie Brickell and lost her to Paul Simon. And so, like, you can't, like, really talk about Paul Simon around him. I mean, he's, like, <laughs> seriously, he's, he's a music guy, and he's a, he's a nice guy. But, uh, and, his, and his brother is, a, is, a, is, like, a session musician. So, I mean, he knows people. Um, but, yeah, Paul Simon's a little bit verboten. Oh! 
okay, before we go, hang on. Before, okay, so, 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 okay, so the Paul Simon line is, uh, uh, is outrageous. This name of the song is outrageous. Um, and he says, I'm tired, tired of 500 sit-ups a day. And, you know, this is Paul Simon writing in the 60s. And I'm thinking, wow, Paul Simon's doing six, 500 sit-ups a day. That's pretty impressive. But I'm not sure I have the two hours a day to do it. <laughs> by, by the time, by the time I ice, ice myself and take a nap, I, I just don't know. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, but but see, I think that those are the sorts of things. Those are the sorts of habits that people create. Just to be a viable human being as you get older. Yeah. And if you don't... Yeah, like, like, Well, like you said, he's retired now. <laughs> okay, so if he's got a belly the next time we see him, we'll know that, you know, he's he's in the end game. Well, he's, or at least he's got the time to do that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so the storm, the, the unexpected storm that had high mile an hour winds blowing across Iowa wreaking havoc it was called what a derjo you say it again no seriously you cut out i'm not kidding do, do you need me to use it in a sentence or what what's going on here <laughs> okay well so it, it looks like derecho the word is derjo is that really how it's pronounced, Derejo? That's yeah, I, yeah, I, th I think so. That's how I say it. I don't know. I I would if I if I saw that on the menu of a Mexican restaurant, and it's a Spanish word. If I saw that on um, the of the menu of a Spanish of a Mexican restaurant, I would pronounce it Derecho. Derecho. Like. Huevos derecho. That's like an egg storm. <laughs> that sounds so great. Hold on, stand by, stand by. Derecho. 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 I. Okay. Um, I'm not sure that that made for the great podcasting that you thought it was, uh, and that there may be, and it may be a great way to end the podcast would just be, hang on a second, hang on. Listen, you say derecho, I say derecho. Let's call the whole thing off. Well, Sounds I don't good. know if you thought about this, but a more Germanic spelling, more Germanic pronunciation would be der echo. Germanic, nice. Akia, ich habe ein der Echo. Yeah, this is improving. This is better. <laughs> hey, can, can I do the? Can I do the the thanks to our sponsor? Oh yeah, I wish you would. It, I don't know. Some people may be suspecting nepotism if I keep doing it. You know, there are times in your life that require you to wear a suit and a tie. 
And if you're going to wear a suit and a tie, why not be comfortable and look great? Why not indeed? Wait, am I supposed to... Is this kind of a call and response thing? Or are you just... Uh, no, that's fine. Okay, that's good. Yeah. No, you, so, want to, you want to feel comfortable and look great. So in these times, we are required to wear a mask. Why not feel comfortable and look great? Mrs. Winger makes masks. She does? Okay. Uh, how, do you, how do we learn more about these fantastic, effective, and comfortable and stylish masks, Brian? I don't know. I don't know. I'm the idea guy. I'm the idea guy. You figure out the logistics. Okay. So uh, <laughs> Brian is, uh, uh, he's, he's being something that was re- referenced in the movie that we weren't able to talk about this week, Sliding Doors. No, uh, um, Notting Hill. He's being something that was referenced in Notting Hill. Um, but Two weeks notice. Two weeks' notice is what you wanted to talk about. I was prepared to contrast it with sliding doors. And all of our regular listeners will have to come back to hear that little tate-a-tate. <laughs> Derecho. Dare echo. They'll have to look for that in episode 26. Derecho. De- <laughs> my little, my little, <laughs> my little derecho. Mm. I don't think Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> come, with, come with me to the Casbah, my little de- We will go on my derecho. Yeah. So, uh, Brian uh, uh, was right about uh, Mrs. Winger Mass. That was, that was awesome. We're going to have you do it from now on. Uh, we want to thank uh, our producer and engineer, the guy who cleans us up and adds our uh, <laughs> self-produced and uh, composed bumper music, uh, Jackson Grimm. And uh, we want to thank all of you for uh, listening in, giving us part of your day. Uh, we really do appreciate it. We will uh, talk to you again on our next episode. Thanks for joining us on the Managing Expectations podcast.